in a series relationship renovation. To renovate means to improve, restore, revamp, make over, update, remodel. I like all of those words. I like all of those words when I'm thinking about relationships that I have to deal with almost every day of our lives in multiple different situations. We have to deal with people. People change. We change. So we want to constantly be thinking about renovation and having healthier relationships that bring us more joy and above all bring glory to God in our life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had healthy marriages, and we do, but we're making them better, that bring glory to God. Healthy relationships, healthy church relationships, healthy work relationships. So what does it look like to renovate without Jesus? It's not good. It's no bueno. It's not good. This is what it looks like to renovate without Jesus. Here's this first picture here. Yeah. Keep the gate closed and locked. (laughs) I'll just give you a minute and let you look at it, and then you, oh, I see. (laughs) Let's see what else we got here. This is what it looks like to renovate without Jesus. It just doesn't go well. Ah, that's actually my house. I did that renovate. I'm joking. But if you knew me, you would say, ah, I understand that. <laughs> Let's look at another one. Ah, it just gets dangerous. It just gets dangerous to do renovations without Jesus. And this is what is the product. Let's see what we look like when we do renovate. This is what it looks like right here. Please pray for that man right there. He needs prayer right now, and he needs prayer for wisdom for next time. I think he's actually on an electrical box on the side. Yeah, that's an electrical box. (laughs) Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, or open up your app, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's learn something new from the Word of God about relationships. Possibly it's called one of the most beautiful stories in the Old Testament, called the Gospel of the Old Testament as it proclaims Christ so clearly. Let me set this up. David has just because he, he has reigned all over. Remember, he was seven years in Hebron, then he reigned all over Israel uh, for 33 years. So what's happened is... David is, has peace over his enemies. He's looking out two chapters before, and he says, I live in a house of cedar, and, and God's in a tent. The presence of the Lord, the tabernacle, was in a tent. And he says, I want to do something more. He has this deep desire to bring glory to God first, and then God, that's when God makes an eternal covenant with David. So God has just made an eternal covenant with David. And then once he's mesmerized by the things of God and says, Oh God, who am I and who is my father's house that you would do these amazing things? Then he turns his eyes as it often happens when we have a God encounter. It changes this, changes this, and then all this changes. So you got to encounter God to have this change. David has a God encounter, and uh, God sets up his eternal covenant with David in just the previous chapter. And now we pick it up in chapter 9, and he looks out across people and the hurting world. 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. 
That's a good thing to say to the boss. That's the way you keep a job and get a raise at your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now let me pause there to understand this lame person. When he was a little boy, his father Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle. And the news gets back to the royal palace. The dynasty's dead. There's about to be a coup. And that little boy is next in line. So the nurse grabs him and takes off trying to save his life, right? Because in that culture, you killed off everyone. Well, she drops him. We don't know exactly what is in the Bible, some kind of spinal injury. He's lame from a little boy all the way up through his life. Now he's a grown man. Verse 4. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. The, then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now Mephibosheth, that's a tough one, say Mephibosheth. <laughs> Mephibosheth, that's the one lame in his feet. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. He came to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant, that I should look upon such a dead dog, that he should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, the master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he goes from poverty, living in someone else's house, physically unable to even take care of himself, and one encounter with the king, all of a sudden he's at the king's table and there's 35 employees who are going to do whatever he wants them to do. Whoa, what an encounter, what a difference the king makes. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the son, like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. What an amazing Old Testament story. A true story in the life of David, showing his character and who he was. Now please understand, every time we read anyone in the Bible, save our Lord and Savior, they are mixed vessels. They are sinners saved by grace in the Old Testament, saved by the faith, in, as Abraham said, saved by the faith of Abraham. 
So let's look at this in this beautiful story of restoration after a long time. Restoration in relationships after uh, deep divides over years and years. You got some notes right there? Let's look at verse 1. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan is dead. David did make a covenant with him. It was for him and his descendants. But no one knew it except David and who? God and Jonathan. David's alive. Jonathan is dead. So the only person David's accountable to is God. But that's enough for David. That's enough for David. No one else knew, remember? They made that covenant separate. They had escaped away that David and Jonathan made that covenant. But David said, hold on. doesn't matter that Jonathan messed up. It doesn't matter that Jonathan's dead. I made a covenant before God and Jonathan. I am going to honor that. I'm going to keep my word no matter what it costs. No matter what, who it's going to upset or make happy, I keep my word. Tell you number one, the number one things in relationships. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. It's that we are people of our word. Number one in your notes. Commit to keep your word despite hurtful life events. Despite hurtful life events. Let me explain the hurt. When I grew up, I assumed and I was taught, and it's not wrong, but that David and Jonathan were best buddies, and they were. I assumed that they lived like that in their entire life, and they're a model for friendship, and they are. But according to 1 Samuel 23, and especially specifically Psalms 55, it seems to be that the, the overwhelming biblical evidence is that Jonathan betrayed David. This is why. No, Saul couldn't find David. The only time Saul found David is right after a visit from Jonathan. And the only time David ever proclaims in Psalms 55 that I, have a, I had a covenant with my friend and my friend betrayed me is Psalms 55. And most theologians agree it was Jonathan. They had a good relationship for a long time, but not until Jonathan died. Not all the way up. He didn't keep his word. He was actually betrayed. David was betrayed. And I, can you imagine the deep hurt of David? Can you imagine how hard it is that he wants to show kindness to Mephibosheth knowing he was betrayed? But he said, nope, I am going to keep my word. So sounds like the scripture, the Lord keeps no record of wrong. Let's do, let's bring this to the 21st century to our life. How many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer before? Yes. Come on, if you're a shy Catholic, it's all right. That's no, it's all right. You didn't pray, you didn't even know what it meant. No, I'm joking. We've all prayed the Lord's Prayer before. Good, it's the Word of God. We should be praying the Lord's Prayer. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer holding anger, anger or unforgiveness against someone. You can't do it, right? What does it say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who... David says, I've got to let this go. 
I've got to hand this over to the Lord. If you want to read a deep hurt and a, but a deep prayer, Psalm 55, David's prayer to God after this betrayal. And David said, that's it. I've got to keep my word. I have to be a person of my word. There's another part of Psalm, Psalm 15. Let's read this. Another prayer of David. One through four. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? And who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue. This is just keeping your word. Nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he make up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's what David did. If you want healthy relationships, it's so much about keeping your word. Okay, now... Not right now, and don't text me now, but if I have told you something in the past, I told you I would do it, and I have not, please email me. You can text me if you have my number. Not right now, but if I have, I was reading this, and I got deeply convicted. I was like, what if I've done this? What if I preach this, and I've done this, and I'm not aware of it? So if I have done something, I said I would do this, and I didn't do it, you send me an email, Stephen at foundationslft.com, or text me, okay? We're going to keep our word. I'm going to lead by example. I never get a story. My pastor told me, Pastor Mike Ware, who's a pastor in Colorado, he's one of my overseers. He had one daughter only, one daughter, one son. And when his daughter was a little girl, the youngest, the princess, the get everything, when you only have one daughter, she gets a lot of stuff. So, um, and they were young church planners. They didn't have a lot of money. But he told his daughter, what do you want on your wedding day? And as a seven-year-old girl, the daughter said, I want a pearl necklace, Daddy. A real saltwater pearl necklace. She had read it or studied it or whatever. So fast forward 20 years later, she's getting engaged, getting married, and she goes to Daddy. And she goes, Daddy, you remember what you told me you would give me on your wedding day, on my wedding day? He said, no, I actually don't. I told you a lot of things 20 years ago. You know, when they're seven, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, we'll do that. Hoping they forget. They don't forget. They always remember. They can't remember to close the door, turn the light off, but they will remember those details. He said, Stephen, I had to keep my word. You wouldn't believe. I could see his teeth grinding in his mouth and his face getting a little red. He goes, you would not believe how much a pearl necklace, a real pearl necklace, full pearls, cost me. He said, I almost had to take out a loan. I was like, oh, my goodness, that was hurtful. Against his own hurt, the Bible says, he keeps his word. And this was the person David was, despite the culture he lived in, despite what was going on around him, despite what was going on in his own home or relationships, he's going to keep his word. Christians, we have a light to shine in this dark world, and this is what it is. Is there anyone left in the house of Jonathan that I can show kindness, that I can keep my word?
Let's keep going here. We're looking at 2 Samuel. We read verse 1. They find a servant, a servant left of Saul. You know, he put up his hand squeamishly. Hmm, David may just be doing this to kill me. <laughs> See, David never touched. He let, he let God judge. He didn't touch Saul or his servants. So Ziba, clearly a brave man, comes in and says, Yes, there's one left. There's one left. Now look at verse 3. Oh, a life scripture. Look at verse 3. 2 Samuel 9, 3. Then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Oh, now we see a man after God's own heart. Now we see him really right in the middle of God's will. That I may not just show kindness for his sake, not just so, so someone will say he's giving. Not just so someone will say, man, they're a philanthropist. Oh, wow, they're really nice. That's not on David's heart. That's not the point of this text. The point of this text is the center of mankind. He has stepped right into the purpose of man. He has stepped into the highest purpose one can have. See, they thought it was about Jonathan. They thought it was about Mephibosheth. That was secondary. That was way, way on the back burner. He goes, no, 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 no. I've got one great purpose here. It is the glory and exaltation to show the great kindness of the living God. That is what's going on here. That is what we must do if we want healthy relationships. Number two on your notes. Desire to glorify God above all else in your relationships. Is there someone I can show the nature, the goodness, the glory of the living God to? I'm king. I've got authority. I've got money. Everyone's listening to me. I've got everything I need. I've got the world is my oyster, right? Now, he wasn't like that a few years ago. He was in the cave crying out to God a few years ago to save his soul, to help him. But now he's achieved everything. He's got peace on all sides. He's David the Great now. The kingdom's united. And now we see his heart. He says, oh God of heaven, you made a covenant with me. Here, I'm going to build you or at least prep for the temple, but I've got a request. I've got to bring you glory in my life. Is there someone that I can bring, that I can talk about the greatness of God to? Now, this is why it's so important for us. If you're looking for people, and y'all are great people, I know you people, you're great people. I, like, I look forward to coming here on Sunday because you guys are loving people. But not everyone's loving. Not everyone knows Jesus. Not everyone's loving all the time, right? If we are looking to show kindness for someone's sake and not ultimately for the glory of God, disappointment, hurt, division is happening. I'll give you a test and let you tell me if this is true. Anytime you find a Christian, I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm going to talk about Christians who are angry and hurt because of other Christians, because of a church or whatever, and you ask them, hey, what's wrong? What happened? What's the deal? The first thing out of their mouth is, who did them wrong? Who hurt them and why? Is that right? If we as Christians... 
say relationships are for him. Relationships and everything I do, whether they love me, whether they hate me, it's for the glory of God. It's not about them. It's about him. Do everything as unto the Lord, right? That's, listen to me now. I meet too many people who are angry or hurt or fearful or whatever. Christians should never be angry. We have the love of God in us. Anger should come. Offenses should come. And whoop, they're out of the door. It's water off a duck's back. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying there's not difficulty. But for a Christian to live in anger for days and weeks and months and years, they didn't live for the glory of God, right? We live for the glory of God. Therefore, all the effects, the fiery darts of the enemy and everything that would attack us, I live for the glory of God. You live above all of that as David did. Now, why is it so important that he makes that statement right here? I mean, Mephibosheth's going to fall down. He's going to say he's a servant. He's going to gain a son, right? He's kind of like an uncle who took in an orphan, Mephibosheth. It's all wonderful. It is for five chapters. Turn to 2 Samuel 16. Six chapters, excuse me. Poor David. He, so he games Mephibosheth. He does all this stuff. Well, he's got a son, a highly talented son, Absalom, who's got anger in his heart. Again, anger and bitterness. Highly talented, good-looking, well-spoken, everyone loves him. Who's going to commit treason again in a coup. So powerful that David is running for his life. He gets out of the city, he gets into the mountains with his ragtag group. He's got some of his wives, not all of them. He left some concubines back. He got some of his servants. 2 Samuel 16, 1. When David was still a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba. Oh, wait, Ziba. Back, this is a few years later. Oh, yeah, Ziba, that, that servant, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. Man, that's pretty good. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on and the bread, ride on the bread and the summer fruits for the young men to eat and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Remember the story we read our main text. There's two people both saying the same thing, right? I am your servant. In fact, one fell on the ground and made a big deal of it, right? Ziba's faithful. He's a friend. David in distress in a bad time. He's meeting him there with food and donkeys. Man, what a guy. Verse 3. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? He's not here. This is where he grew up. Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, what did he say? Today, 
the house of Israel will be restored to the kingdom of my father to me. Oh. Y'all are quiet, but I, yeah, that's a oh. Oh. So the king said to Ziba, Here all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. Everyone will qualify or disqualify themselves from leadership. Everyone will. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight. My Lord, O king. Now I'm going to tell you, if David hadn't said what he said, and the glory of God been his purpose, and, and loving people for Christ's sake and not for their sake, I promise you, go on a few mission trips, you must love people for Christ's sake. They may love you or not. You do it for him. Then you'll be free, because I tell you, this will break a man right here, Right? You may have done this yourself. Just poured your heart out, your money out, everything out, and they betray you like that. That is, oh, that's tough. Y'all have been there probably. We probably all have. But how do we get free from that? How do we deal with those difficulties? Desire to glorify God above all else in your relationships, and you'll be free. You'll better be free like that. One more scripture, 1 Chronicles. Listen to what David said in 1 Chronicles. The worship team read it this morning. 1 Chronicles 16. Wrote a big, long song, handed it to the worship leader. Says, worship leader, you've got to come up with melody for this. I got the words, but you've got to work on the melody. 16.7. On that day, David, on that day... On the day David first delivered his psalm into the hand of Asaph, he was a good friend of his, wrote a lot of songs, more than ten in the Bible, and his brethren to thank the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant has just come back. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, song, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. People change. Circumstances change. Glory in Him. Relish. Bring strength. Bring, bring your substance from Him. Let the, earth of the, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Now jump down to verse 28. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory of do his name, bring an offering, and come to him. There is a man who can deal rightly with people with a right heart, with a, with a pure heart, because he's got Christ, he's got God, the glory of God, in his sights all the time. All right, let's keep looking here. Go back to our main text. I know that was depressing. I know that's not the way you want the movie to end, but that's the truth, right? You're like, oh, Mephibosheth, why did you, oh, you have King David there and you do this to him? I'm so glad I serve King Jesus, who when my heart betrays me, him, he's greater than my heart. You know who Mephibosheth is? Me. We, aren't we? Oh, but I serve a king 
gracious beyond my comprehension, loving, mercifully faithful. Oh. It's going to get better. We're going to pull this thing up. You know, it's depressing about relationships. Let's keep going. Verse 8, verse 8. There's something we need to learn about relationships right here in verse 8. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? That is one of the worst statements I've ever heard about someone, about saying about themselves. An animal, way lower than humans, were created in the image of God, and a dead animal. That's a nuisance, an annoyance, something that is disgusting to look at and has a bad smell. We know. we got a lot of road here in Louisiana, right? <laughs> we do. That's what this man compares himself to. So now at least we're a little more understanding and gracious of, oh, Mephibosheth. What, what happened to you? That you think you're such a horrible person that you're talking about yourself like this. Number three on your notes. Determine to be thankful for insecure or feel for people. This is a tough one, but an important one, a needed one. Again, because we're doing this for the glory of God. All throughout life, you and I will be or deal with insecure people, our time of insecurity in our life, and fearful people, right? I know I'm in ministry. I have to deal with people at bad times in their lives. I've had bad times in my life, and it produces an insecurity or a fear. And we have to determine as Christians, okay, I'm fine dealing with them, loving them, talking to them in their insecurity and their fear. I can handle that. You know when you're talking to someone and you can tell they just checked out? Like they're just, boom, they're not there, right? <laughs> Maybe you didn't communicate it well. Maybe you had already told him this story once. Maybe you're just having a bad day and you're not communicating it right. right? We've all been there, right? When we check out like that, we just don't want to deal with people. It's insecurity and fear. We're just like, that's a, that's a great lack of love. And I don't want to be like that. I don't, we don't want to be like that, right? That's not who we are. God's called us to be different he bowed himself and he said, ah, I'm a dead dog. But David is going to be thankful in his insecurity and fear. Let's look at two scriptures on that. One is 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all, say above all. One more time, say, above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. In fear, in insecurity, in all of those things, let's look at one other scripture and look at it in a new light. Proverbs 24. I never thought about this scripture in this context. Proverbs 24.10. David's son writing. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is what? Put this 
to people who are insecure or having a bad day are fearful. If you just faint in the day of difficulty with relationships, and everyone who had small children said, amen, right? Your strength is what? Hmm, I never thought about that. I always think about strength, oh, strong, stand. In this context, and it's biblically accurate to say, what if we're dealing with someone of great fear, a Mephibosheth of great insecurity? If I get frustrated and angry with them, my strength is small in that area. Look what 11 says. Deliver those who are near, deliver those who are drawn, excuse me, toward death, and hold back those who are what? Let me ask you a question. Come on. Who's fallen over nothing before? Who's tripped when there was nothing there? You even make something up. Who walked into the plate glass door? Who's done that before? Yes, yes. That is a time of embarrassment, insecurity, and fear, right? Yes. I've done the, like, I grabbed the door handle, but I'd missed the door. Like, you grab it, and you think you're going to pull, so you're already going forward, but you miss the whole door, and it's still closed. So you're like, and you're just, and the first thing you're like, oh, I hope no one saw that, right? Oh, no, please. Insecurity and fear. That is not a fun time in life. All right? And then if they didn't even see it, they ask you five minutes later, why is your face all red? <laughs> the Bible says, help those who are stumbling, who are at that place of insecurity and fear in a stumble in life. That is relationship success. That is bringing God glory. That is being like our Savior, Jesus, in a nutshell. Let's go back to our last scripture here. Our last point. Verse 11. That's a typo. Verse 13. Scratch it out. Verse 13. It's not 11. It's 13. That's why you all have pens. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate, what does it say? Continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. He was continually at a state of honor for no reason whatsoever because of his conduct his behavior, and his ability. He was honored and at the king's court for one reason only, the loving, kind, benevolent king. Oh, now we come to the cross. Now we come to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. His wretched identity, homeless, living with someone else. He was at someone else's house unable to physically even take care of himself, he's been transported to the king's table where in that culture, everyone sat, usually not in chairs, but on the floor. Now, this is the beautiful picture. When someone would walk into that banquet and look around, everyone's sitting, right? They're not standing. They're not walking around. The servants are doing that. 
If you looked at the king's table, you would never even know that Mephibosheth was lame. He looks like everyone else. Dressed in royal attire, called the son of the king. Even though he is lame, you don't know it. And so we are in our weaknesses and our infirmities right here and right now. You who are dead in your sins and trespasses have been made alive in him. Even though you have weaknesses, lame, you're sitting at the king's table wearing his clothes. And he says, my son. Oh, I love it. That identity can only come from the king. See, this is the thing. There's only one person in all the land of Israel that can make that proclamation. No one else has the authority. And that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Number four in your notes. Only the king can restore and give identity. If there's a major crisis in our culture, especially with the young, but, but all over, all the issues we're dealing with, uh, sexual perversion, so many of the issues we're dealing with in our culture, they center around one topic, the identity crisis. Whether it is a father, an earthly father, giving identity to his children, and we as the Christians must receive our identity from the heavenly father, and so we can proclaim it to the lost world. That is the great need. You want to know why men are doing what they're doing? Lack of identity. Yes, we're lost and dead in our sins and trespasses. It's that lack of identity that I, I watch. I play basketball with these teenage boys, and I watch them. And young men and 25-year-olds, they're walking and they're looking. They all look to me when I walk in because I'm the oldest, and, they're, and, and they come and they shake my hand. They say, hey, how are you doing? You know why? Because I love them, and I call them men. I never say boys. I say, men, come on, we're going to play some ball. Let's go. As soon as I say that, they come right to me. Why? Because I have proclaimed identity over them. An identity that every young man longs for. To not be called a boy, to be called a man. And we have identity in Christ. Oh, how the world needs it. Oh, how we need to say, oh, God has saved me. He sanctified me. I'm free. Are you free? I'm saved. Are you saved? That identity the heart longs for. And only King Jesus gives it. Right? Is there anywhere else that a sinner can be called a saint? Is there anywhere else, any other name, except the name of Jesus where identity can be changed? Absolutely not. We need to proclaim the identity that comes in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. As you stand, I want you to look at this picture here. Go back to your humanities classes or history classes. That is a young Queen Elizabeth I. She was never married. This was called the Golden Age of England. It was a huge empire at the time. This is when she was young and thinner. She had all her teeth. <laughs> she had an affinity for sugar, which became very popular in it. Gave her a lot of issues later in life. There she's, you see the cross on her neck, and that's a Bible in her hand. Look very closely at the Bible. What do you see there? There's a little white piece of paper. 
isn't it? Can you squeeze, squint those eyes and see it? It's a 15th century bookmark she's got there. She was in her royal court as a young lady, and a clergyman came and read this story to her. It was a formal occasion. They did this for dignitaries, especially one so powerful. All the bishops, the princes, so many of the military, because they were a military powerhouse at that time, were there. And upon hearing this story of 2 Samuel 9 and Mephibosheth, after it was read, she grabbed the sides of her chair and stood to her feet to honor the king. Normally, they would stay seated and were never, they never raised like that. But she did upon hearing this story. As the music plays, we're going to read one more scripture in Isaiah. It's going to be up there on the screen, Isaiah 43. Let's look at this. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Three very powerful words. You are, what does that say there? Mine. Ah. Oh, mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. There's been songs written about this verse. It all is predicated on one very powerful Identity statement. You are mine. Oh, yes. Let's spend a few minutes with Jesus. Just let the word of God saturate every part of your heart and mind. See David in a, in a type of Christ to that lame person. is you have something to say today oh yes you have something to proclaim words of one theologian. 
close our service. David's grace to Mephibosheth was a wondrous picture of God's grace to us. We are Mephibosheth. We are hiding, poor, weak, lame, and fearful before our King comes to us. We are separated from our King because of our wicked ancestors. We are separated from our King because of our deliberate actions. We are separated, we separated ourselves from the King because we don't know Him or His love for us. But our King sought us out before we sought Him. The King's kindness is extended to us for the sake of another, oh Jesus. The King's kindness is based on a covenant. We must receive the King's kindness in humility. The King returns to us what we lost in hiding. The King returns to us more than what we lost in hiding. We have the privilege of the King's provision and the King's table. We are received as sons at the King's table with access to the King and fellowship with Him. We receive servants from the King Himself. The King's honor does not immediately take away all our weaknesses and lameness, but it gives us favor and standing that overcomes its sting and changes the way we think about ourselves. We are Mephibosheth. David's grace to Mephibosheth is also the pattern for us in serving and minister to others. We are also David. We should seek out our enemies and seek to bless them. We should look for the poor, weak, lame, and hidden to bless them. We should bless others when we don't deserve it, when they don't deserve it, and bless them more than they deserve. We should bless others for the sake of someone else. We must show the kindness of God in our generation. Let's sing this as we close. Come on, tell him you're going to... Come on, tell him. Lord, we come to you knowing we are Mephibosheth. Oh God, what great Savior you are. Oh, no strength to save ourselves, but you did it. No ability, but you did it. You've changed us, God. Brought us from darkness to light. Oh, we praise you for it. We thank you for it, God. And you've called us to turn and be David. To love the loveless. To love for your sake. Come on, sing to him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him for every difficulty. For every betrayal. Thank him for every struggle you went through. It brings glory and honor to the king. That's why we do it. That's why you do it. Whether people love you or they hate you or they treat you well, good or bad, you're doing it for the king. Oh, that I could show the kindness of God to someone. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Come on, tell him this is your prayer. Tell him this is your purpose in life. Tell him this is the reason you breathe, the reason you live, for the glory of God. Come on, tell him. We glorify your name.
Yes, Lord. again at the king. Now let a smile just creep up on your face. Let joy unimaginable fill your heart that you have become sons and daughters of the Most High through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let joy well up in you and you just shake your head in awe that you have become sons and daughters of the Most High through faith in Jesus Christ. lift our hands and close. Just lift them. Oh, thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, Lord, you have rebuilt us. You have brought us who are afar off next to you through the blood. Can you not fix any relationship? Oh, God, you fixed us eternally. You've saved us and we'll be with you eternally. You can fix anything. We don't say something's too hard on this planet. Oh God, you can do anything. So we look with great faith and anticipation for healing of the broken, for restoration where there's, where, where there's nothing, God. We thank you for it, God. We praise you for it, God. We give you the glory and honor for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Let's give him praise and glory in his house. God bless you. Have a great day.